0: It's so good to see everyone back in church. It's so lovely to be here. And we don't need to wear masks. We can't sing yet, but we, can't, we can see each other's faces, which is lovely. And if you're at home online watching now or if you're watching later, then welcome as well. And God is not constrained by space or time. And may God really work through all of us in this time that we share together now. Before I start... I wonder if you, if you can remember back to Christmas, how were you with the presents that you received and the presents you gave? I know I like to spend a bit of time thinking about what might be a suitable present for everyone I'm giving presents to. And I like it if when they receive it, they enjoy it and they're happy to get the present. But I don't know if you've ever had this experience that you watch someone open a present that you put a bit of effort into. and Well, when they open it, you see that they're not quite as excited as what you thought they might be, which is disappointing. And today's passage is a bit like that, because God had given the Jewish nation this incredible present, the temple of God, which was to be the centre of their worship, the centre of their whole being as a nation, and yet they were taking it for granted and misusing it. And this story about Jesus cleansing the temple, it makes for a good Sunday school story, for sure, because it's very action-packed. But it is a very weighty, a very heavy explanation or display of God's character. And it speaks powerfully to us today about who Jesus is. And so as we come to this passage in Mark, I want you to think about how you see Jesus. And Simon said this last week as well, because sometimes we see Jesus as a very cosy friend, someone who invited the children to come onto his lap, someone who, who saw anyone who was in need of, of, of healing and healed so many different diseases and infirmities, or maybe we see him as a great preacher. But when you think of Jesus, what is he doing? How does he look? What is the expression on his face? And I want you to keep that picture in your mind as we look at this passage today. So Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, this is a yearly celebration. It's the same as our Easter or maybe Anzac Day. It's a time when the whole nation would remember what God had done in their history. So, the Jewish people, they were living in Egypt at the time, this is way back, and they were slaves. They were mistreated by the Egyptians, they were treated cruelly, and they really were oppressed. And God raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt into what would be called the promised land. And in that land, they would become a nation where they would serve God, and God would be their leader, and they would be a light to the rest of the nations. So this was a very important time in the year. It's called the Passover and the celebration would include a meal, visiting the temple and offering a sacrifice. And and Jews from all around the country would come to Jerusalem for this particular celebration. So Jesus and his disciples have come down to Jerusalem. They're staying in Bethany with Mary, Martha and Lazarus most likely. And this day they walk from Bethany up to Jerusalem. And as Jesus approaches the temple, he sees that there are is trade and commerce and profit set up in the temple courts. So this is people, the people of God, misusing the most precious element of the presence of God in their lives. There is sin in the temple of God, and Jesus is not going to let it continue. So to appreciate why Jesus was so upset by seeing this in the temple, we need to understand a bit about the, the design of the temple of God in that day. So the temple of God had different places, a bit like, a bit like our church here today. We have this worship portion, we have the hall, of the kitchen. Um, the courtyard, and different meeting areas where we use it for different types of ministry. The Temple of God was a design given by God to the Jews, and in the very centre of the temple, called the Holy of Holies, that was where the presence of God actually dwelt. The presence of God dwelt in the centre of the, of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, And only the high priest could go into that area and only once a year for a very special celebration. Now for us today, the presence of God is everywhere. The presence of God is available to us through the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus' death and resurrection that allowed the Holy Spirit to be shed abroad. And so we don't have to go to a particular place at a particular time to experience God. We can experience God any place, any time, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in Jesus' day, the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. Around the Holy of Holies was an area where the priests were allowed to go, and that's where they would offer the sacrifices. So people would come with a sacrifice and an offering to God. They would give it to the priest, and the priest would then perform the service. In Jesus' day, the priest was the link between the people and God. Today, that's not like us for us. Jesus is the link between us and God. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the one who died for us. He is the one who covers all our sins. And he is also our high priest. So Jesus is our link today. But in those days, the priest was required to provide the link between people and God. Around that area was a, was a place for Jewish men to worship and then a place for Jewish women to worship. And then around that was a place for any person, of any tribe, any nation, any colour, any belief to come into the temple of God, to hear the word of God, to pray, to be ministered to and to come to know God in a personal way. So the temple was designed with all these different spaces. And the outer courts were particularly for outreach. They were for meeting people who had not grown up with God but who were interested, who wanted to find out about this God. But instead of keeping this place sacred as a place of ministry, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders had allowed the money sellers, the they're selling the animals and the money changes to set up business in this temple court. Now, these businesses of themselves are not necessarily the issue because when people were coming from distant places, they needed to bring a sacrifice with them. And on the way, the animal might get sick, and so it would not be suitable to offer as a sacrifice. So it was reasonable that when they got to Jerusalem, there would be a place where they could give one animal for another animal or they could buy an animal for a sacrifice. So that in itself is not unreasonable, but it was located in the temple court. So Jesus would not have had a problem with it if it was somewhere else in Jerusalem. The other business that was in the temple court was the money changers. During these festivals they would collect a tax, so when you went into the temple, you had to pay a tax. And it was a certain currency, they only accepted a certain type of currency. So it's a bit like if you go to the United States, you can't use your Australian dollars. You need to exchange your Australian dollars or US dollars so that you can carry on business in the United States, same thing here. So people would come from all different places and they'd have to change their currency, whatever money they had they'd have to change over into the currency that was accepted for the temple tax. Now, again, nothing particularly wrong with that, and if it had been run as a community service, it would have been really good, but it wasn't. In fact, the money changers were extorting huge amount of money on the exchange rate and also charging interest. So not only are they insulting God by using the temple courts for these businesses, but they're using the house of God for profit. And this is done with complete disregard for the non-Jewish people, for those people who wanted to come and worship God. So the Jewish leaders are, in fact, excluding a whole group of people from coming to the temple of God and worshipping. So this is deliberate sin. And... Jesus is not going to let this continue. So he he herds out the animals, he upturns the tables, um, he he kicks over the the chairs, um, and he clears the temple of all this business carrying on. So you can imagine the sight and the sounds when this was happening. There would have been the noise of the animals, uh, the, the chairs going everywhere, the money going all over the place. And I'm sure the business leaders were not quietly just going along with it, they were probably yelling at Jesus and there were arguments and it would have just been chaotic. And this account in Mark, it's not the first time that Jesus has cleared the temple courts. In the Gospel of John, at the beginning of his ministry, he travels from Capernaum down to Jerusalem again for the Passover and he finds the businesses set up in the temple courts. And he chases them out. In that account, that's in John 2, 13 to 22. He actually makes a whip. And he makes the whip to herd the animals out. He's not actually whipping the people. That's just normally how you would get animals to move because the business people probably are trying to keep their businesses in the place. So we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that... He clears the temple, making it obvious that there is sin within the temple, obvious to the Jewish leaders that they've strayed from the scriptures and that they're following their own rules and their own designs. And this is not something that Jesus has just made up. This is something that is all through the scriptures, the way the temple is to be used. And One of the best passages is in Isaiah 56. And I'll just read part of it to you. It's Isaiah 56, 1 7. This is what the Lord says Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. Don't let foreigners who want to come and worship God feel that they're not a part of God's people. It's quite clear. Have a space, allow that space for people to come and worship God in the temple. For I will bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name. I will bring him to my holy mountain of Jerusalem. I will bring all these people who are not Jews, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. This is a beautiful picture of worship happening for non-Jews in the outer courts of the temple, they will be filled with joy. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And this is what Jesus refers to. This is the passage that he's referring to in Mark eleven seventeen, where he says, The Scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it, you have turned it into a den of thieves. So at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus clears the temple. At the end of his ministry on earth, he clears the temple again. And it's done in a very powerful, a very demonstrative way. There's no way that you can avoid the fact that Jesus is angry at what's happened here. So, let me bring you back to that picture that you have of Jesus. Does this align with this picture of Jesus, being angry and throwing things around? I expect not. And probably because, you know, we tend to think of Jesus as our friend, as the one who tells us to turn the other cheek, as the one who tells us to love our enemies. As the one who willingly went to die for us on the cross. But make no mistake, God does not tolerate sin. Jesus does not tolerate sin. Sin is the very thing that separates us from God. Sin is the very reason why Jesus had to come to earth to die. Sin is not something to be taken lightly, it's costly. And it arises the anger of God. And we don't talk about the anger of God or the wrath of God very much because, well, we like the friendly side of things. But God hates sin. And we see many times in the Bible that God works to eradicate sin, to wipe it out. Because we can't have sin in the presence of the holiness of God. And yet, when he acts in this way, he doesn't just lose his temper or overreact to a situation like we might. He doesn't just pay back or retaliate. In fact, he's slow to anger. He's slow to anger because he's full of love and mercy for us. And we see this mercy when the woman who was caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. This is in John 7:53, 8 to 1, and you can look it up later, but... Jesus does not condemn her and he speaks in such a way that her accusers, the people who have dragged her out into the street to shame her, when he speaks, they also are condemned, they also feel their own sin and so they do not condemn her either. And he says to her, go and sin no more. This is the mercy of God for us. But in this passage, there is no mercy because this is latent, continual and deliberate abuse of God's holy place by the people who have been given this treasure, who have been given these scriptures, who have been given this temple by God. So based on this way, on this passage and on the fact that we know that God hates sin, can we act in that way? Do we have license to do what Jesus did? When we see something we don't like, go and create a, turn up the tables and hurt out the animals? No, absolutely not, no. And there's two reasons for that. And the first one is that our anger is usually selfish. It's usually about what's happened to me. Someone has hurt me, someone's let me down, someone has betrayed me, Someone has done something that's really caused me hurt, and I get angry. And we have lots of different words for anger because we don't like to say we're angry, so we say we're upset or we're disquiet or um, disgruntled. But the root is that we're angry. And in that situation, God says to us to forgive. We are told to forgive, to forgive again, and forgive again. That's how we are to deal with that type of anger. And then we can be angry because a goal that we're trying to achieve is not coming about, and it could be something, a very godly goal, and we've been working hard for it, and we're not seeing any results, and we start to get frustrated. Another word for anger. We start to feel a bit depressed about it. Another word for anger. We start to feel let down. Another word for anger. And in that case, we are to bring those things before God Ask him if we need to reassess that role or maybe to give us patience and perseverance. And then another reason why we might get angry is because we see the misuse of power. We see people being mistreated, we see oppression, we see uh, inequality. And we can get angry about that and we can go and cause confusion and argument or we can take action. We can take action that's in a godly way, that's not self-promoting, but is going to intervene in that situation. But anger itself is an emotion, it's not a sin. And, and we, when we feel angry, we need to be careful, we need to come before God and we need to ask him, what situation is this anger about, Lord? Do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to reassess my goals? Or do I need to take action somewhere? That's why God gives us anger. And that's the first reason why we don't do what Jesus did in that way. And the second reason is because we are not God. Because we only see this bit, we see this much. But God sees everything. God sees the whole. He sees into our hearts. He sees into the heart of every person here today. He knows everything that's going on. And so he has all the information and he can make a proper judgment, whereas we can't. So we need to be aware that when Jesus was acting in this way in the temple, he was acting in godly judgment. And God is the only one who can judge in that. So this passage, it confronts us on at least two levels. And the first one is that we see how upset Jesus is when he sees sin in the temple of God. But today, we, you and me, all of us, we are the temple of God. And so when Jesus looks at us, does he see sin? Is he seeing sin in a part of our lives? Now I'm going to say for me, absolutely yes, he's going to see sin when he looks at me because I fall short of the glory of God. But God has given us a way to confess our sins and to be brought back into that right relationship with him. But let me ask you, is God coming back to you again and again to deal with the same sin like he did with the temple? Has he already convicted you of some area of disobedience or some area of sin in your life and you've managed to comply for a while but somehow you're falling back into it? We need to ask God to help us to overcome that sin because Jesus' death gives us that ability. And we don't want to experience the wrath of God, which is a fearsome and terrible thing. And the second thing is that Sin is serious, and we can take it lightly. Sometimes we joke about our sin. We think it's funny, but it's not. It's not funny. Jesus had to die for that sin. And he's given us a way out. It's in 1 John 1, 9, and it says it very clearly. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us wickedness if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and he will cleanse us from all wickedness i mean how beautiful is that how lovely so i want i want us to do that today i want to finish with a prayer that comes before god and asks him to convict us of our sin and confess them now in this place in this time wherever you are the lord can work mightily as we come and we obey his word in this way. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have displayed Jesus' godly judgment, godly anger. And we know, Lord, that we fall short of that, and that we can't come up to your your level, Lord God. And we do, Lord, want to be a temple of God that is as free as sin as possible, Father. So Lord, convict us. Convict us of any purposeful disobedience where we're simply not obeying you, Lord God. Convict us of any area in our life that we need to confess to you. And we come now, Lord, and we, we simply confess our sins to you. We thank you that you've given us the way to be free from that sin. And Lord, we ask you for any area of our life that we're not aware of, any sin where we're not aware that we're doing it, Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and convict us. Show us, Lord God. Teach us your ways. Show us how to be truly faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us be open to your leading. Let us be open to your hearing, hearing your conviction in our lives, Lord God, hearing you speak to us and say, this is not something I want in my temple. And for those of us, any of you today who've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, Then I invite you to come before him and just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I accept that you died for me on the cross. And I wanna serve you from now on. So Lord, come wherever we are in our path with you. Come Lord Jesus, and just overflow us with the Holy Spirit and help us to be a beautiful, shining temple of God that will be a witness to all nations and all peoples in jesus name amen